Hey, the podcast you're about to hear uh, may sound a little strange. It's strange in a different way than it is normally strange. Because it's a radio show. We're going on the radio here in Chicago, so there's like some things we have to do that we don't normally do. So uh, if we say we're about to take a break, we're not about to take a break. Don't go away from your iPod. We also say this is NPR, which we don't normally say. And honestly, which still doesn't feel right coming out of uh, my mouth. It's like a swear. This is in Okay, so the, the show's going to start in five minutes. Seth, I wanted to bring you into the studio to say you're a good intern. And uh, we just want to apologize in advance for all the things we're going to do to you today. Um, I don't know what to say. We should know, I guess, in advance. Do you have any uh, allergies? Oh, yeah, peanuts. Okay, are you good with uh, cologne? Um, I've never worn it in my life before, but... I, I'm I'm down to try. How do you feel about large animals? Um, we're talking wild animals, not like cows. We're talking wild. like carnivores of the of the, the jungle. Beasts, large beasts. Um, sounds great. And we may need you to get in the Chicago River. Can you swim? Um, yeah. Anything for you guys. All right, Seth. Then uh, why don't you go get changed and then we'll get started. Okay. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. On today's show, how to get rid of that uh, gross perfume you don't want. And we'll also tell you how to properly call somebody a nimrod. But first... St. Patrick's Day is Monday, and and here in Chicago, uh, we have a weird tradition. We dye the Chicago River green. And if you haven't ever seen this, it's not a subtle green. It is a bright, almost neon green Leprechaun color. Leprechaun green. Mike Butler is on the line with us now. He's been in charge of dyeing the river green for nearly 40 years. So, Mike, we understand that uh, you guys keep the dye a secret, but can, can you at least tell us how to make something similar at home? No. You can't. It's, it's, is it toxic? Would it, would it kill me? <laughs> it's environmentally safe, believe me, and it's orange. <laughs> When that first hits the water, Wait, it's all orange. Just so, just so I understand, is does the dye does it change color, or is it something about the combination of orange dye plus the natural color of the river that makes the color green? Your guess is as good as mine. Okay. It changes to green. Wow! And are are you guys? Um, so when you're doing it, uh, when you're going down the river in the this boat, are you just do you just have buckets that you're tossing over the side, or is there some specific method to it? method to it and uh, we don't like to talk about that because other people have copied. You guys are like the like the Knights Templar guarding the Holy Grail with this thing. You got it. <laughs> you so, got it. So how long would it take me to kind of work my way into this inner circle you think so that I could learn some of these secrets? You couldn't do it. Do I have to be born into it? You couldn't do it and it's not an easy job because afterwards uh, a lot of times from ingesting the dye, they're going to urinate green for a day or so. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. What? And, and we used to all go over to the gym and uh, play racquetball, and we'd have shower, but halfway through the racquetball game, we'd start to sweat and turn green. So No, you're <laughs> kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> wait, is that the method? Do you pee the dye into the, into the river? Absolutely not. Wow. 
The Wildlife Conservation Society says that Calvin Klein's obsession for men cologne attracts jaguars and pumas. So much so that they actually use the stuff. They spray it on their remote cameras, uh, you know, out in the jungle to attract them to get good pictures. So we want to see if this is true. We're going to head to the Lincoln Park Zoo with some obsession to see what happens. You'll know we're there when we start speaking in hushed tones. All right, so we're here now at the zoo with Dave Bernier. He's the general curator here at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Well, what, what fragrance are you wearing right now? I'm not wearing any, and I learned from my experience with working with animals really closely, especially the great apes, that I don't alter my smell because it can change how they react to you during the course of the day. So I always just kind of very consistent about what you wear every day and don't change things up, and then they get used to that. Do you know what it is about uh, obsession that excites these animals? I don't think it's any particular one cologne, to be honest with you. I was just talking with my linehouse keepers, and they were telling me that they've been experimenting with new scents recently, and so they've been using uh, diluted extracts, coconut and vanilla and other things like that, and they're getting, some have no response at all, and some cats respond very uh, uh, acutely to it, where they want to rub on it and lick it and lay on it. Uh, also, um, some of our perfumes, which are I looked at, I tried to look at the labels, I couldn't read any, we've had them for so long, but they seem pretty generic. Uh, they really don't know it's a perfume, they just know it's different, it's novel and something that they're, they're reacting to. So, so when you say perfumes, you mean like you have actual perfumes that a human being might wear? Yes, retired you know, colognes or perfumes that have been approved by our veterinarians, uh, probably donated from staff or volunteers that have been vetted to make sure that there's nothing wrong with them, which usually there isn't. So these could be just like gift, re-gifted things that someone's either doesn't want, has gotten tired of, their wife didn't like it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I probably these are several rejected, you know, Valentine's Day gifts. Who knows? So we are careful about it, but yeah, we. I don't think we paid any money for these. They are all volunteered. And what are you doing with those things? Well, on a rotation, which is fairly random, we we use them in our exhibit. So we can't move that huge boulder out of the way in the line exhibit or big logs out of the way. What we can do is we can put their food in a different place or we can put their food in a place where they really have to work hard to get it or we can put a scent in the exhibit, which makes it seem like maybe another animal came through there, which we can't do. Um, and that way they get kind of a, a wider range of experiences and can elicit normal natural behaviors. Um. So we're, we're standing here looking at the lion enclosure right now. So if you were going to put a scent in there, where, where might you put it and how, how would you apply it? Well, for the lions, what you'd probably want to do, and a lot of animals, instead of just putting it like on the ground area, we want to put it someplace where maybe a normal animal would mark. So maybe out by that tree or the upright log, spray that because they're going to want to smell it and then they're probably going to want to turn around and mark right over that again. So we try to kind of mimic where the animals might end up really finding a scent from another animal in that area. So what happens to that scent then? So what you're saying is they, they, they smell the scent, mm -hmm. they pee on it, mm -hmm. and so then what we have there is a mixture of, say, obsession and pee. Again, that's what they would normally do. When they run across the scent of an animal, they'll want to, someone marked my territory, I'm going to mark right over it so I can advertise right back to them. Well, we, we have some Calvin Klein obsession here. You want to test my reaction to it? Well... We, we are curious. And, you know, our intern Seth is here, and I think maybe we could put it on Seth and just see what kind of reaction he draws. Yeah, so, so we'll put it on Seth. We'll, we'll all take a walk through, and you can see if you identify any kind of behaviors from the animals. Sound okay. good? Sounds good. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to have no friends after this. Get off wind. All right, so we are uh, following our intern Seth. 
he is um, just do it blindfolded right now. I think I could just follow the smell. He is. It's it's as if we dipped him in a bath of Calvin Klein obsession. But now, Dave, the the smell. This big cat house. It has a terrible smell itself, right? No, I would not call it a terrible smell. It's a smell, though. It's a unique smell. It is. It's a smell of an animal space for sure. Okay, so we're coming up on the the indoor lion enclosure. So, who are these cats? This is Sahar. He's our male African lion. And uh, the female Myra is not uh, visible right now, but she's probably just behind the scenes there. So Seth is standing as, as close as he can safely get. Are you seeing anything, uh, any reaction to Seth? Not yet. We'll see if Sahar can pick it up or if he's tuned into it. Well, what, what should we look for? What, uh, if if uh, either of these lions were to pick up the scent of Seth, uh, what, what might we see? Well, he should, uh, it should kind of get his attention so he would face or he would lift his head up and sniff the air and try to figure out what direction that smell is coming from. I don't think that he would try to mark Seth, luckily, uh, from this distance. Well, that's disappointing. Let me, let me ask you this question real quick. So Seth is, Seth is about 10, 10 feet from, from mm-hmm. the lion. How far away could they pick up his scent? How far away could he get and they'd, they'd still be able to, to smell him? Oh. Once they come into the building, he's here for a little while, he'll be able to pick it up. This is a really strong smell compared to what they're able to really pick up because they can pick up scents over miles of distance. Okay, so we're now standing by the Eurasian lynx, and we're going to see if that reacts to Seth, and it has frozen in its tracks. Now, now this is not because of, of the smell of Seth. I think she's responding to this auditory enrichment we're hearing right now from our male lion who's roaring. You know, whenever this happens, when there's a, a lion roaring, I realize I, I don't actually know what he's saying. Well, he's just roaring. You don't, you don't speak lion. What NPR would typically do at this moment is uh, dip down what he's saying and bring in a translator on top of it. Okay, everybody. Uh, I'm the lion. This is my territory. Uh, just to reiterate one more time, I am the lion, and this is my territory. Okay. Thank you. Our, our males, when they roar, a lot of times they like to face west when they're outside because they get this bounce back off of the buildings. And I think the they, high rises in Chicago. Yeah, so there's ones right across the street that are really high. So I think the return is almost like another lion calling back. You know? So they're doing it in order to kind of gauge the distance between other lion prides or they're trying to call in other members or they're just advertising that they're there. Okay, so at this point, we've sent Seth all over uh, the big cat hall, and we're, we're not getting a lot of reaction from the cats. Mostly from other people at the zoo. Um, what do you think we should do? Should we spray another, should we dose Seth again? I don't think so. I think, I think it has to be probably closer or something more direct to them, something inside the exhibits for them to respond to. Okay. Should we send him inside the exhibit? <laughs> no. You've smelled this. You spend your day with animals that all have all sorts of crazy smells. What's the closest, uh, what animal most smells like obsession, do you think? Well, I, I don't want a bad mouth obsession. I'm sure Calvin Klein is a tremendous company. But uh, our, when our male gorillas, when they are, um, you know, doing what male gorillas do and there's breeding happening and they sweat, they have a very particular pungent musky smell. And that's the only thing that really reminds me of, like, a perfume-type smell. I mean, it's nothing you'd want to wear, but it definitely has that musky smell. And it travels. It Definitely, you can smell it for a long distance if the wind is blowing. 
so that would be my only experience. I mean, I personally like the smell, but I wouldn't want to smell like it. Well, well, this has been fascinating. Thanks so much. Thank you. You know, uh, any any how-to question you have, it doesn't have to be uh, large animal related. We will help you with. Maybe you want to learn how to put out a fire in your kitchen. Th- that that at least seems like more uh, uh, an emergency for which you should call 911. So not first response questions, but any other type of question we can help with. Just send us your questions at howto at npr.org. The Geneva Auto Show just wrapped up, and uh, alongside Mercedes and BMW, uh, another company was showing off some cars. That company was called Nimrod. And that seems like a weird thing to name anything, a car, a person, uh, a clothing line. It's like an insult. Yeah, you don't think positively about Nimrod. Susan Weisbauer is a historian. So, Susan, what can you tell us about Nimrod? The, The story of this actually begins long ago, which is to say about 1200 B.C. Oh. in Assyria. All right. Um, and a new Assyrian king inherited the throne from his father, and his name was not Nimrod. His name was Tukulti Ninurta, just in case you need to know that. And um, he picked a fight with the Hittites and conquered them, and then he picked a fight with the Babylonians and conquered them. And uh, long story short, he made Assyria the biggest it had ever been. So that brings us to the second part of our story, which is the book of Genesis, which is in chapter 10. It's sort of, you know, post-flood, Russell Crowe has exited stage left. The world is getting back to normal. There's this list of all the great kings in the earth, and among them is Tukulti Ninurta. And he's referred to by the ancient Hebrew version of his name, which is, if you want to guess... They called him Nimrod? They did. They did. They called him Nimrod because it was a Hebrew word that kind of meant the one who is creating chaos. So wait, it was Tikulte Ninurta to, to Nimrod. Yes, that was the term he was known by to the Hebrews. And it wasn't an insult? No, no, it wasn't an insult. It meant great and chaotic fighter or something like that. We're not exactly sure what it means, but something like that. It sounds kind of like Nimrod meant badass. Yes, exactly. This would, this would be, if this would be a very good paraphrase okay. from ancient Hebrew into, you know. So, so the, the Genesis account then says two things about this Nimrod. It says he was a mighty conqueror and lists all the places he conquered. And then it says he was a mighty something else. And we don't know exactly what the word means, but a lot of people have translated it hunter. So that's what Nimrod meant. It meant mighty hunter. It was, it was like a, it, it was a nice thing to say. You know, if some... It was a compliment. Or it was sometimes used, so for example, there's, a, there's this 19th century novel about a dog um, the dog is called Bruno, and it's by a totally forgotten writer who starts out, a young hunter, whom we will call Mr. Nimrod, had long been wanting a dog. <laughs> well, wait, Susan, so was there a, at ever a point at which people then referred to other people just as, hey, you're a real Nimrod. Nice work. Well, yeah, so in, in the 1940s, I think early 1940s, there's some culturally literate scriptwriter for, for the Bugs Bunny cartoon who has Bugs Bunny call Elmer Fudd, you poor little Nimrod, which was completely, you know, in line with the usual usage of this term. You know, he was calling him, you poor little mighty hunter, because Elmer Fudd is going around being a mighty hunter. Uh-huh. The, the thing is, is that by that point, I think maybe it wasn't a common enough slang term for most of the viewers to immediately think mighty hunter. Instead, they thought Nimrod, Elmer yeah. Fudd. 
So, so basically, like it, it is this complimentary term for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. and then Bugs Bunny uses it sarcastically, mm-hmm. and people don't read the sarcasm. And so, since the 1940s, it's been an insult. Yeah. So now, if you call someone a nimrod, it means you're a bumbling idiot, and that you may think you're good at what you do, but everyone else knows you're actually a joke. Wow. I feel like it's it's so sort of unfair to this word that for you know uh, what was it. You said 1200 BC. Yes. So yes. for you know for thousands of years it was it was a basically a compliment, and then uh, just for the last uh, 70 or, or 80 or so it's it's been an insult. I, you know, if you flip through if you flip through novels published before the 1940s, I mean, if you go all the way back to 18th and 19th century novels, heroes are often named Nimrod. It was a noble. It was a noble name. Wow. Can you think of some examples of of those hero Nimrods? There is a Nimrod I know in a Herman Melville novel who is definitely a heroic character. Um, Does the guy say at some point, call me Nimrod? No, he doesn't. I think it's just assumed that we will call him Nimrod. At okay. <laughs> I feel like he missed an opportunity there. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> well, uh, Susan, this has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. We heard from Audrey. She says she listens to How to Do Everything while, quote, riding the tram to work in the morning uh, in the south of France. Audrey, these next 15 seconds are for you. He's leaving, leaving on that midnight train Audrey, I, I hope you get a seat on the tram this morning. Because there's nothing worse than a, a tram commute where you have to stand. I, I hope, if you get a seat, that nothing has been spilled in that seat that you didn't see before you sat down. Hey, Andrew, what can we help you with? Well, okay, this happened a few times over the years. Um, I've gone to work on my birthday, and my coworkers didn't know that it was my birthday. Um, and I could never figure out a good way to let them know that it was my birthday without making it seem like I was just fishing for a happy birthday, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. At any point on your birthday, did you were you thinking, oh, they're going to surprise me later? That's why no one said anything. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe sometimes. But, <laughs> that's been in the back of my mind. Well, we, we are going to try and find a way uh, that, that you can communicate this without, you know, communicating it. All right. Okay. Thanks, guys. On the line with us now is an expert in all things birthday-related, Jen Kirkman. So, so Jen, can you help out Andrew? I mean, I would, I'm the type of person that runs around going, it's my birthday. But if he's not comfortable doing that, then this is where I do approve of covert uh, operations in life and little manipulation. He should send himself something from someone else so that it is delivered to his office on his birthday, like a dozen cupcakes or something like that. And just say, oh, my friend Tina sent these as my birthday. It's so embarrassing. Or if, if he wants to get on a, on a, a fake cell phone conversation and pick it up, uh-huh. you can ask someone to call him and just yeah. say, hey, go along with what I'm saying. So then you hear his cell phone ringing loudly, and he goes, hello? Oh, hey, Nana. Oh, my, yeah, it's tomorrow. Oh, I'm not doing much for my birthday. You know, just talk really loud yeah, so that that's people good. hear. In the middle of a meeting, even, maybe. Sure. <laughs> so have you, have you done that, Jen? No, but he, I don't need to, because I just say it's my birthday, and I sometimes take the day off. He should, oh. <laughs> he should just order something... And maybe it could come the day before his birthday. Uh-huh. And that way, when he gets to work that day, or he could ask 
someone he knows. I don't know if he has a wife or a girlfriend, but say, can you send something to my office? We'll do it. Yeah. yeah How to right. do everything. We'll send some cupcakes to his office the day before his birthday. So. I think that's a great option. Alicia Root Cakes. Hi. I, we'd like to order a cake. Okay, sure. Uh, when do you want the uh, cake for? Uh, it's the day before somebody's birthday. It's Okay. Sure. Um, so let's get a few questions in terms of what you need. Um, is there a particular um, cake design or style that you're looking for? Well, here's the here's our question. The cake isn't actually for us, but it's for somebody who um, wants his colleagues to know it's his birthday without telling them it's his birthday. Essentially, this guy's ordering the cake for himself. Oh. That's a little unusual. Right. So what do you think the best uh, design is for that? <laughs> um, how about a little gift box? And it has a to and a from, so that it's a, it's a hint as far as a present is concerned. Yeah, that, that, that immediately then people will be thinking, oh, we should get him presents too, like his cake got him a present. Right. Have you ever heard of anybody doing this to, to spread the word? Um, not to spread the word, but I've had a few people actually, um, it seems uh, like the trend for 30th birthdays, I've had a few people call in to order their own 30th birthday cake. <laughs> really? I wonder why. I'm not sure. Um, it seems, you know, usually uh, most people call in to order a cake specifically for someone, but I did have a man uh, once call and he wanted actually a, a torso of himself for his 30th birthday. <laughs> We didn't end up actually doing the cake, but perhaps this is another idea for your colleague to <laughs> get a torso of himself made. How how would that guy, how did that man propose uh, to have you create his torso? Did he send you a photo, or did he did he pose? Well, then we would probably need um, you know some sort of visual, a photograph of you know that person, <laughs> um, so we could kind of sculpt. Um, in terms of, you know, something recognizable as far as his facial features and, you know, torso. <laughs> so I wonder if uh, Andrew, and we haven't seen Andrew's torso, but maybe that would be another way to say, you know, hey, it's my birthday and check this out. Um, perhaps, but if it's for a workplace, I'm, it may not be, you know, somewhat suitable for work. We could maybe put a business casual shirt on the torso. That's, that's true. It could or... be a clothed, clothed torso. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that big cats like cologne. The the fact that uh, zoos across the country have uh, a room where they keep actual cologne to put in the animal enclosures is, is amazing. It does change your impression of, of the lion, the king of the jungle, to think that he's attracted to obsession or yeah. Axe body spray. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can imagine a, a lion could take it all too far. We, right. we could go to the zoo and there he'd be in a members-only jacket. I don't want to think of the lion as like the worst guy out at the bar at night. Hey, I, uh, I just I killed a wildebeest uh, and check out my Camaro. Is that a leather jacket? The weird thing is in his condo, he has leopard print sheets. How to Do Everything is produced by Stephen Tobias with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Seth Kelly, who was just doused with obsession cologne. So wait, did you do you think that the lion smelled you? Um, 
Yeah, sure. How long did he hold your gaze? It was it was a solid more than ten seconds of uninterrupted eye contact. Wow, we we missed this. Yeah, I got scared. Get us your questions at how to at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian Chillog. And I'm Mike Danforth. This is NPR.